All right, Matthew chapter 6. Let's jump right in. We have lots to cover today as usual. Um, And so I want to notice this time we're going to expand our reading. Two extra verses from what we've been doing. Uh, We've been in the book of Matthew. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount quite a few weeks. And now we've even been in this model prayer that the Lord is giving us. So guys, let me interject right here. I don't know how it is with you, but honestly, in my life, what I'm finding myself doing over the last few weeks, just unconsciously slipping more and more of this teaching that the Lord has been putting into us, I'm finding it coming into my prayer life. I hope you're doing the same. And so notice with me, if you would, this will be about the fifth week uh, that we're looking at verses 9 through 13, but we're going to expand a little deeper this week uh, to verse 14 and 15. Here we go. All right, verse 9. Christ is teaching us how to pray, and he says, pray then. Is everybody with me? Forget about all the sickness, right? It's time to look into the word. Pray then like this. Again, not praying this, pray like this. And here's kind of an outline. He's going to tell us who to pray to, our father, where our father is. And then he's going to give us six request categories, categories of things that we would request of God. Three have to do with God. Three have to do with us. So here we go, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, our Father, familiar, intimate, we know him. But remember, he is in heaven, and so there's a reverence. Here's the first three requests. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you guys been praying that way? I hope you have. Let the word of God be affecting your life. Then we get to the three things that have to do with us. We have needs. This is part two of last week's message. Last week we switched the order because we looked at the first request that has to do with us. And then we looked at the third one that has to do with us. And we skipped the middle one on purpose because... Of all the things that are said in this prayer, what's going to be said in that fifth request overall and the the second one that deals with us, Christ is going to come back and return to that. We're getting ready to read it in verse 12 in a moment. So here's, here's what's happening. Because of what Christ is going to teach in the first part of verse 12 and then what he's going to say in the second part of verse 12, he knows he's going to need to return because of the effect that that has on people and their ears when we hear this. So here's... The three requests concerning us. Give, what we're asking for, gifts, us, so we pray in plurality, this day, daily, so we're dependent, no matter how much abundance we think we have, bread. And we said bread represents all of our physical provision. So we're asking the Lord, would you give us gifts because we're totally dependent upon you? And in verse 12 is today's text. It has two parts. And forgive us our debts. I want to go and tell you, as we look at verse 12, 14, 15 today, I want to spend at least half, if not over half of the time, on the first line of verse 12. That's going to be like the main thrust of the first half of the message. And then the second half of the message, we'll deal with the second part of verse 12 and all of 14, 15. Here we go. Read verse 12 again. We're supposed to pray this way to the Father. Forgive us our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
Last week we saw, he says, he teaches, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now the prayer is over and he needs to return and explain further on verse 12. Here's what Christ says. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So here we're going to look mainly at verse 12 today, but then it's going to spill over to verse 14 and 15. And guys, I'm telling you, every week, and I challenge you, if you were to take this home and just sit and just read it and pick each one of these requests out, you would say, man, these, these cause some serious questions, like real questions. It began a few weeks ago when we had these questions like, what is this coming kingdom? Okay, God is a king, a universal king. What is this coming kingdom? How is it different than the current kingdom? When will it come? What will it be like? So we had to chase that down. Then we saw this. If and since God is truly an omnipotent, omnipotent, almighty, can do anything he wants, this was a puzzling request. Why do I need to pray for an almighty God to do what he wants to do? He just does it. And why isn't his will being done on earth if he is omnipotent? What's that all about? And so we had to go into that. What is, what is this revealed moral written will of God that is not being done as compared to the purposes, stated purposes that will have been predetermined that are going to be done? And is some of this that is not being done in God's moral written will, is it somehow accomplishing even the greater purposes? And so we had to untangle all of that. Like, why are we praying for God to do what he can do anyway? He doesn't need us to do this. And then last week we saw verse 13. This conjured up some questions. Lead us not. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Does that mean that Christ does lead his people to temptation unless they pray not to be led into temptation? And what is this temptation? So we keep on having these questions that come up. Verse 12. Look at it. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I challenge you. If this were a Wednesday night, we would actually do this. I would ask a question, and I'd give you about three or four minutes to write your answers down, and then I'd break you out in small groups at tables, and you guys would discuss the answers to the questions that I'm about to present to you. And some of them are very simple, but I, I think of at least three, Right? One comes out of verse 12, one out of verse 14, one out of 15. If you read this over and over, you'd say, yeah, that, that, that presents some problems. Here's a basic one. Can we start with the basic question? Isn't this prayer for Christians? I mean, chapter 5, verse 1, Christ goes up on a mountain, calls his disciples, teaches them. The whole thing has been to Christians. It's very apparent that this prayer is for Christians to pray. So here's the first question. Why do Christians need to pray for forgiveness in the first place? So what would you say to that? If I just pause right now and I pointed to some seasoned Christians and said, hey, simple question. Christ says to pray to the Father, forgive us of our debts. Why do we need to pray for forgiveness? I thought we're already forgiven. This is for Christians, right? Why do Christians need to pray for forgiveness? What would be your answer? A second question. Verse 14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father. Now watch my hands. I'll probably do this several times today. If you forgive others, instead of this, nope, 
not forgiving you. But if we forgive others, all right, if we go from this to this, then your heavenly Father will go from this to this. So the question that comes up, is Christ implying that by us forgiving and opening and not being this way, that we're, I hate to even use the word, are we kind of earning his forgiveness and doing away with this rejection and this unforgiveness? So first question, why do we even need to ask for forgiveness? Number two, are we kind of by doing this, earning this? And then the third question, come, so what would you say to that? Hold on. Because listen to what he says. It's pretty clear. For if you forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will forgive you your trespasses. Okay, it opens up to that. It lends to that. And then a third question comes out of verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So here's a third question that I hope by the end of the message we found an answer to. It's this. This withheld forgiveness, very clear, can't deny it, is this withheld forgiveness from God in verse 15, is it speaking about this life? Is it saying that God is going to withhold forgiveness on a daily basis in this life or is, does it mean that God is going to withhold forgiveness in eternity on a permanent basis? Which is it? He's going to withhold forgiveness from some. Is it this life, temporarily, on a daily basis? And, or is it on an eternal basis, on a permanent level? Is it, what's he talking about? So three questions as I'm reading this. Wednesday, it's like, Lord, this sample prayer keeps opening up to these questions that I don't have the answers to initially. But then the more we study, Lord willing, we do find that the answers become hopefully a little more clear and we want to give biblical answers. Notice three things with me today. You ready? Here we go. Number one, only Christians can truly pray. I know we've made that statement. I'm not going to spend a long, long time here, but I think this is the point where we need to make that, that clear again. Only Christians can truly pray. And I know some may disagree. There's people all around the world who are not Christians and they're going to try to have an audience with God. I contend they are not actually speaking to God. And I'm not saying he doesn't hear what they're saying. What I mean is he doesn't hear in the sense that he does not receive their prayers. Only Christians can do that. Where do you get that from? Look at verse 12. Christ says, and forgive us our debts. Notice the word debts. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And in verse 15, he will not forgive your trespasses. So we have debts, trespasses. One of the things I noticed this week is that both William Barclay and John MacArthur each pointed out that actually there are five different words in the New Testament for this idea of sins. Five different kinds of sins. And I'm not going to pretend to tell you the Greek word behind them, but I want to give you a quick idea of the kinds of sins that are in the New Testament. Here's one. By the way, this is the most common one. I remember in Bible college, we studied something called, we called it hemardiology. I don't even know if that's the proper pronunciation, but it has to do with the doctrine of sin, and this is the most commonly used one, hemartia, if I'm even saying that correctly. So what's this first kind? Watch. Missing the mark. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. What that means is 
missing the mark. There's a kind of sin, it's very simple, in which we are not the kind of person we really should be. So what that means is no one here today has been a son or a daughter that you could have been. No one has been the son or daughter you could have been, should have been. No one's been the brother or sister. No one's been the father or mother you could have been. You could have been better as a father or mother. I know I could have. Every parent in here is probably saying, yeah, I could have been better. We could have been a better neighbor. We could have been a better church member. We could have been a better employee, employer, you name it. Whatever it is, we could have done better. We've all missed the mark. We've all sinned. A second kind is a different idea, and it is to step across a line. There's an idea of, of sin in the New Testament. It is stepping across the line. The line is what God says is on one side is right, and on the other side is wrong. And sometimes he writes the right and the wrong in the Word of God. You say, what about a person who doesn't have a Bible? Even then, God stamps right and wrong, not all of it, but much of it, on our very soul. It's called a conscience. But we step across the line. We know that on that side of the line, and here's the thing is, there's some intentionality in this. We step across the line. We transgress. Third idea, so we miss the mark, then there's transgression. Third idea is the following. It is similar, but it's we fall across the line. We stumble. We slip. We're careless. It's much less intentional. But the fact is, we went over the line. We got caught up in something, and we've carelessly gone over the line of what God says is right and wrong. There's three types. The fourth one is the worst kind of sin. It's the idea of lawlessness. You'll actually see it in a little while in one of our texts. Lawlessness is like that second one that I just mentioned, but it is much more blatant. I mean, it's the worst. It, in fact, it's almost a whole attitude I, I know about the law of God, but I'm going to live my whole life as if there is no law of God. I don't care about the law of God. I'm not like just stepping over on that thing. I'm just obliterating all of the law of God. Lawlessness. And then the last one is not this exact word, but it is the idea of verse 12. Debts. These debts are, watch, obligations. But we failed to meet our obligations. Not just being what we could have been ourselves, these are obligations that were to God, and we've omitted living up to those. We failed to live up to those obligations, and as a result, we owe a debt. We're indebted to God. This is not just against self, what we could have been, our own measuring mark. We're indebted to God, and that's what Christ is saying. Did you catch these five? So again, we've missed the mark. You step over the line. You slip and fall over the line, acting like there's just total lawlessness. I don't care at all about the law of God, totally obliterating it, and then there's this debt. I'm in God's debt because of how I have lived and mainly what I've not done. So here's the news. Everybody with me? I'm going to get so simple and most of you are going to be like, I know that already. I've heard it so often. It doesn't move the needle. But guys, I want to be real clear. Don't miss the main thing that Christ is saying. I believe the most important thing that will be said out of all of these texts today is this. 
Christ is saying we need to pray and ask the Lord to forgive us of our debts and our trespasses. And he doesn't go through all the other words of sin. But know this, you and I have, have obliterated, we've committed all five types of sins in the New Testament. All of us have missed the mark. We've all stepped over the line, slipped over the line. We've had seasons of acting in lawlessness. And we're all having these debts of missed and failed obligations to fulfill toward God. We have all sinned. But here's what Christ, it's the main thing, it's the simplest thing. Here's what Christ is saying. You do know God forgives sin. God forgives sin. Don't miss that. It's the simplest thing. It's the most obvious thing in the whole text. Christ is saying, you need to be praying for the Father to forgive your debts and your trespasses. Why? Because here's what it means. If you will pray. So some, you say, Jeff, we know this. Somebody may be over here or here or here or here this morning or someone watching online or watching later. They literally have no time in their life where they can point back and say they have by faith taken God at his word. Here's one example. Through the death of Christ, talk to God the Father and ask him humbly. Again, a humility. It's going to require humility. You've got to admit that you've sinned. You have to admit that you have debts and trespasses and failures. And then you have to have faith that this actually works. Christ is not wasting time. He's saying, ask the Father to forgive you of your debts and trespasses and sins and failures and stepping and slipping and lawlessness. Ask the Father to forgive. So I've got to ask you right there. That's the good news. That is the good news. Have you done that? Have you done that? When did you do that? When did you have, I mean, like, literally you've had a time where not just, well, he knows I know. No, I mean, when did you have a time where you purposefully had a conversation with God where you acknowledged, God, I am a sinner. I am sorry for my sin. I am confessing it. I am seeking your forgiveness. You ask him, would you please forgive me of my sin? Most everyone in here could point to a time in their life. There may be one or eight people this morning who say, well, I've just kind of always been a Christian. No, you've not always been a Christian. When did you become a Christian? Hold your spot. Flip over if you would. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Because forgiveness is the basis of prayer. See, we all sin. We've all done all of these categories of sin. And forgiveness is the whole basis of being able to pray. This is a prayer for Christians. Only Christians can truly pray. Why is that? Notice what Jesus says in John 16. It's a little bit of a review, but I'm finding more and more. I am taking nothing for granted these days on what people know or do not know about the Scripture. Jesus is pointing in verse 23 to a very specific time. He's telling his disciples, I'm going to go away. You're going to wonder where I am. What, what he's saying is he's going to die and he's going to be buried. And you're going to be extremely sad. But verse 23 starts with, he's talking about the day when he comes back from resurrection. He's going to present himself and they're going to be overwhelmed with joy. And no one will ever take their joy from them. Watch verse 23. Because as he's speaking it, and as we're reading in Matthew 6, this has not happened yet. But as we're living here in 2019, we are now looking back to this. We are living in that day. What Christ is saying is, in that day, after my resurrection, he tells his disciples, verse 23, in that day... You will ask nothing of me. You're not going to ask me. Your prayer requests are not necessarily to me. 
Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, just like he says in Matthew 6, your prayer is directed to the Father in my name, he will give it you. He will give it to you. So I've said this before a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again. We don't necessarily have our main request toward Christ, our main request or, or toward, are toward the Father through Christ, and that's why we don't pray in your name, amen. We don't pray in your name, amen. We're talking to the Father in the name of Christ, and we're going to literally spell that out. Father, I come to you through this name and person of Christ. I'm acknowledging that. I'm verbalizing that even if it's within myself. Why? Because Jesus says to. We are now living in that day. Go, if you would, Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be back at this point later, so follow me along. Hebrews chapter 10. Hopefully, if you have your Bible, go there very quickly. Hebrews chapter 10. We're talking about prayer and forgiveness because we've all sinned, but God will forgive our sins, and then we can have this access to the Father. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 19. Pretty familiar account. Uh, It's a whole message on its own. Look at verse 19. Let your Bible speak to you. Let the Word of God, if it's on the screen or on a screen in your lap or a piece of leather and paper in your lap like I have here. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, God's Word says, since we, not everyone, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, the holy places are where God is. This, this passage is contrasting the old tabernacle and the old temple where there was a holy place and then a holy of holies behind a curtain and then the holy of holies was this mercy seat and this ark of the covenant where the presence of God was. That's what he's, he's talking about is a comparison of tabernacle temple versus the reality that we have now in this day. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. That literally means the very presence of God. How? By the blood of Jesus. How do I go to the Father? Literally, by the blood of Jesus. The passage says, by a new, not through a a man-made curtain, not by sending a high priest in once a year to go make an atonement and put on a mercy seat at the Ark of the Covenant of a goat or a lamb or a bull. Verse 20 says, by a new and living way. That he, talking about Christ is the context, opened for us through the curtain. Oh, still a curtain. No, figuratively, there's a curtain between us and God. You have to go through this curtain. Listen, every time you have to go through this curtain, what is the curtain? That is through his flesh. You have to go through the flesh of Christ, the open, wounded flesh of Christ. What's the result of that? And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near. This is prayer. This is fellowship and communion with God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full, Christian, hear this, full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How? Through the blood of Christ, through the broken and and shed body of Christ through the wounded body of Christ literally we go to the Lord through Christ to the Father through Christ write this down and I mean this it is very simple statement but it needs to be stated very simply here it is no one people all around the world are going to try it today 
No one needs to make an assumption, just assume that they can talk to God. No one on their own has an audience with God. People all around the world are thinking today, hey, today I'm going to talk to God. It's Sunday, as if God is privileged to get to hear from them. Wrong perspective. No one on their own has a right to think that God will receive their prayers. Prayer is only reserved for people who can honestly call God their father. I can do that. Can you? Can you honestly say, God, you are my father because I have put my trust, I've placed my trust in your son, Jesus Christ. I come to you through him. If that's the case, now there is a basis of forgiveness. So I want to answer, start answering the first question. Now, this was the second question. Okay. Do we earn, here we go, do we earn this forgiveness by our forgiveness of others? You should already know the answer to that, and let's write that down. The sole basis of forgiveness before God and the sole basis of acceptance with God is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. Something had to make forgiveness possible. No one can just assume, hey, it's me, Lord. You, you, you want to hear from me? I have an audience with... No, you do not have an audience with God. Something had to make forgiveness available. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Again, I said this probably about a year ago, and I want to repeat it. Please implement this into your life. I want to encourage you. I, I, I know how we, we tend to pray like other people have prayed before us. And we're getting these habits. And here's one of the main habits. By the way, I'm not nitpicking. I want us to check what's our attitude. Because sometimes we treat this idea of praying in Jesus' name as like a slogan. It's a slogan or it's a verbal stamp. Or it's almost how we end a letter. Sincerely yours, Jeff. So we pray our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you. Start, if you're not already, do this. It is not a slogan. It literally is. A, what is this praying in Christ's name? It's a conscious confession. I mean, it's you talking to God. Like one of the first things you're going to do is, Father, I am praying to you. I believe that you are. I'm talking directly to you. But I'm coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. I am confessing. It's a whole attitude at the beginning of the prayer, not waiting to the end of the prayer. And I mean something that's going to run all the way through. You may catch yourself saying this over and over through the prayer. Father, by Christ, I ask this. By Christ, I praise you for this. Or, listen, you may not say it at all. You may not say the words at all, but it's a whole attitude that, God, I know. I have no business talking to you. But I can only come through Christ. But here's the kicker. I do come through Christ boldly knowing that he is enough. I do come boldly. I expect to be heard. And, God, I will be heard because Christ is enough. It is literally a confession, and it's a whole attitude. Do it early. Do it throughout, do it at the end. Let praying in Christ dominate your prayers. I want to strongly encourage. Only Christians can do that because only Christians have taken Christ as their Lord and Savior. Second thought this morning. Second thought, and hopefully as we do this, we're going to answer that very first question right out of verse 12. Forgive us our debts. Number two. Our daily sins... Our daily sins hinder fellowship with God. I know that's a simple statement. You say, Jeff, we already know this. Well, let's get some Bible reasons. This answers the question, why do Christians need to 
get forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. Christ literally says, and pray, forgive us our debts. Why do we need to pray this? Here's the answer. Daily sins hinder us from having fellowship with God. Now, you've got your place in Matthew 6. Go to Romans 8. Go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to hit a flurry of texts. We're just skipping through the highlights, but we're building some doctrine. And this is just a representative text that uh, there's many, many just like this all through the Scripture. Really, the whole theme of Romans 8 is these little highlights we're going to pick. We're going to pick like three verses, three or four verses out of Romans 8. You ready? Let the Bible teach us. Here we go. This will help answer our question. Verse 1. Romans 8, verse 1. There is... Therefore, and therefore is because we've been justified by faith through Christ's death on the cross. There is, here's what the Bible says, Christian. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's good news. There is therefore now, the idea, not now, not ever. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no condemnation. We do not live under a death sentence. You will never be separated from God. Your spirit and soul may separate from your body, and it will, but you, no part of you, will ever be separated from God. Why? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If his death and his burial and his resurrection counted for you, then you're in Christ. There is no condemnation. whole chapter is about this. Flip over to verse 33. We're still in Romans 8. Look at verse 33. Great question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? The idea here is, who can bring a charge, an allegation that's going to stick and be effective? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Literally, the way it's written has an implied answer of no one is able to do this. In fact, he says, it is God who justifies. Who can, bring an, who can bring a charge against Jeff Bartlett? It's not going to stick in the courtroom of God because God has already justified me. There is no condemnation. Look at verse 38. Again, the whole chapter, you'd have to study it. Look at verse 38. Here's how Paul concludes this greatest chapter in the Bible. Paul says, for I am sure. Christian, hear this. So we're answering this question, why in the world do we need to ask for forgiveness? There's no condemnation. There are no charges that are going to stick. He's already declared us righteous. Paul says, I am sure that neither death. But what if I die? Doesn't that mean that God stopped loving me? No, that doesn't mean God stopped loving me. He loves you in death. What if I live? Well, as long as you live, he's going to still love you. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels. But what if, what if there's an angel? Nor rulers. What if they're really powerful? Watch this next line. Nor things present. Like so broad statement. Nothing present nor things to come, nothing that hasn't been created yet, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, literally in the cosmos, the highs and the lows of the star movement, looking at them as signs, nor height, nor depth, nor, in case he missed it, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hold that spot there. Remember verse 39. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. One more passage here. Look at verse 7 of 1 John. If we could have 1 John 1, 7. Look at the screen. Watch this. Watch verse 7. So God is light. I'm looking at a very bright light, okay? It's really bright, so you don't want to look at it. Keep looking here because you go temporarily blinded when you look at these big lights. God is light. 
in him is no darkness. If I'm a true Christian, I'm not going away from God. See, there's a shadow here. I'm going toward God. I'm walking in the light. And anyone else who is a Christian, we're all walking toward the light. And we have fellowship one with another because God is is light. There is no darkness in him, so there's no sin and darkness. We're moving toward him, and so we're walking in a lighted path. Verse 7, the main thing I want you to get is the end of verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Wait a minute. There is no condemnation. There is no accusation that can be made that will stick. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We've been cleansed from all sin, past, present, and future. We're cleansed of all sin. Like, guys, what what, what these verses literally mean is God loves you as much today, or let's just say your worst day, the worst day, the day that you sin the most, God loves you as much on that day as he loves you on the day that you sin the least and do the most good things. I'll go further than that. Fast forward 10,000 years. 10,000 years. Do y'all know what will happen in 10,000 years? If you're a Christian, you will not have sinned for 10,000 years. The Lord will not love you more Not having sinned for 10,000 years, he will not love you more than he does on your worst day. You can't be separated from the love of God. And so that makes us ask, why do Christians need to ask for forgiveness? I thought we're already forgiven. What's the point? Raise your hand if you say, Jeff, I think I already know the answer. Raise your hand. Good, I'm getting ready to ask somebody. Uh, raise your hand again. <laughs> they got the answer right here. I'm sorry, try this. <laughs> Go with me if you would, John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is going to help answer our question. Why do Christians even, even need to ask for this forgiveness? I thought we're already forgiven. There is no condemnation. We can't get away from the love of God. He already loves us as much as he ever will. So what's this forgiveness? John 13, I was looking through this Thursday, and I want to just tell you, this is an awesome, awesome passage, and it won't hurt my feelings if one day the Lord lets us preach on this passage. It is so full. I mean, it is just pregnant with meaning and teaching i'm not going to begin at the beginning but this is at the last supper in the upper room christ literally will be betrayed in just a little bit judas is still there and this is that last night and judas has already started making the deals with the high priest and satan's already put it into him to do what he's going to do and you guys remember the scene look at verse five so the 12 plus christ are in the upper room look at verse five then So here's, guys, let me just say, this passage has so many kinds of lessons. 
it has lessons on humility. That's going to be very obvious. Christ is teaching his people about humility. It's going to have lessons on unity. It's not stated here, but there's this whole dynamic. The guys keep fussing and fighting over who's going to be the greatest, and Christ is going to demonstrate something physically so that, like, words haven't been getting through to them. So I'm going to actually do it physically, and hopefully that will penetrate, stop the disunity, and stop the selfishness. And then there's going to be this humility and there's this service. I mean, if Christ serves in that way, then everybody should be serving everyone else in any way that the Lord leads. But in all of that, there is lessons. There are lessons on forgiveness. And listen, it's not specifically stated by Christ that this passage is about forgiveness. But how he teaches it is so clear that forgiveness is one of the lessons. This is such a Great because it is words and action. It literally has all four of those lessons in it. Now verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin. Picture this. This literally happened. Jesus, God, God in the flesh, poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Literally, the passage says there were seven steps. Christ is seated at the table. He does seven different things. He gets up, takes an outer garment off. He starts moving toward them, puts this towel on. He does all of these various things. There are seven action steps that leads up to verse 5. Each one has a spiritual meaning. I don't like to overly spiritualize things, but verse 5 again, look at it. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus is literally doing this. Verse 5 is just a generic, broad statement. It doesn't say who went first, second, third. It doesn't say how many. That happened to before verse 6 takes place, but verse 6 happens somewhere in this process. Verse 6. So he's washing the disciples' feet. Yes, he washed Judas's. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? I mean, I can really hear people, Lord, no, no. Those jokers may let you do that, not me. No, this is wrong, this is messed up. I need to be washing your feet. Are you seriously going to wash my feet? Watch what Jesus does in verse 7. He answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. Literally, Christ is saying, Peter, there you go, buddy. Peter, hang ahead. Peter, okay. Peter, you're running off at the mouth. Peter, you're an extremist, and you're going to see his extremism right here. Peter, stop. I'm telling you, you're not going to understand it. Just let it be. You'll know more later. It'll make sense later. I'm not saying verse 7 is lost and pointless. It almost seems like it was lost on Peter. Thankfully, we have it recorded, verse 7 again. Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter, in verse 8, holds his line. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Now listen, the wording there literally means, You will never, ever wash my feet you will never wash my feet. Lord, you wash my feet? Never. That is never happening. Okay. Verse 8 continues. Jesus answered him. All right, Pete, you need to know this. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Then you're not one of mine. 
Oh, whoa, whoa, time out. Well, on that basis, here he swings. Not, he, do you see how quickly? This is Peter. This is us. You will never, ever, ever. I'm telling you, it'll never. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> I need you to wash my hands, my head. I mean, let's, let's just start. You need to wash me all over. He goes from never, ever, you'll never wash my feet to hit my feet, hit my hands, hit my head, hit everything. I need washed all over. And there, there you go to the other extreme, Peter. You're just, you're all over the place. And you represent these guys in a lot of ways, and he represents us. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who has catch the key. Some translations do not help us as much as the ESV helps us here because it literally changes the word and shows us it is a different actual word. It is a different word, and the ESV pulls it out. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not, let me find it, does not need to wash. So all along, it's been using this idea of wash. It uses the word wash five times in verses 5 to 10. And now Christ says, hold on, Peter. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. He does need his feet washed. Why does this person not need to wash? Why? Because he's completely clean. He's completely clean. And you... The, you means you all, as he's looking around the room, and you all, you 12, are clean, but not every one of you. So you don't need completely washed and bathed again. You need washed. You don't need bathed. You're already clean, and you all are clean. Well, almost all of you. Why does Jesus word it that way? Verse 11 says, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Peter, you're already all clean. And all of you are all clean. Well, except for the one that I know is going to betray me. And he's going to reveal that later. We know it is Judas. Judas was not clean at all. Judas was pretending and playing. So, Jeff, what does this have to do with Matthew 6, verse 12? Hang with me. Ready? William Barclay, in his studies, has found that the roads of Palestine were covered with dust when it was dry. Just dust. My dad did construction. I've been on a lot of job sites in the summertime in western North Carolina where it hasn't rained for a long time, and they literally would have to bring in water trucks to keep the dust down and just have to let water, just pipes that are just big tanks, and they're just putting some water on the ground to keep it from being just boiling dust. And so when it was dry in Palestine, there was like this inch thick of dust. Well, the problem is when it does rain, that dust goes from dust to becoming liquid mud. Here's the other problem. They didn't have shoes and socks. They literally have a sole with some straps that are hanging and holding it onto the foot. So you have this either dust or you have this liquid mud and this strap, and people are walking through life. And so, like, every house would have an accessory in it back then that, like, none of our houses have today. You say, what is it? It was a water pot at the front door because just by living life, just by walking through the world, walking on the roads, your feet get dirty you're going to have to stop and wash your feet. And so that's the point that we're trying to make out of this passage. So again, verse, verse 5 through 10 has this word washed, means to wash a part of the body. Can we have uh, somebody help us with that? Um, it's kind of doing what it does sometimes. Now, if you would, follow me, Hebrews chapter 10. Remember what we just read. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. 
Flip over there. I told you we'd go back there. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 10. So what's the point? These dusty roads meant that not, there's not a, like, a little kid's going to get fussed at. Why are you so dirty? Why are your feet dirty? Everybody's feet get dirty. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, earlier we read on why we can go to the Father with confidence through the blood of Christ. I'm going to start reading in a moment in verse 14. Let me tell you what precedes. So if you have your Bible open, you have a major advantage. As you look back at verse 11, I'm going to give you some words. You ready? Here's two priesthoods. So listen to these descriptions. I'm going to give you, over here's one priesthood. It's the Levitical priesthood. Listen to some words that the Bible gives. Watch. It talks about these priest stands. These priests stand. Daily service. Remember these words. Stand, daily, service. The word repeatedly. And then the word, what their offerings can never take away sins. Hear it again. These priests, many of them, stand serving and daily, repeatedly offering the same sacrifices over and over that can never take away sins. And then that is contrasted with Christ, who's going to, and then the text is going to say of him, when he had offered for all time, not repeatedly, all time, a single sacrifice. Notice, sat down, they are standing. He sits down at the right hand of the Father. Now pick up from there, look at verse 14. For by a single offering, so we're trying to answer why do Christians need to pray for forgiveness. For by a single offering, he, catch this word, has perfected. He has, past tense, perfected for all time. Those who are, now here's the balance of that, being sanctified. That's implying we still sin we are still being sanctified. We're still being made in the image of God. Yes, we still commit daily acts of sin. But the text says, because of the single offering of Christ, we've already been perfected for all time. And if that wasn't clear enough, verse 15 says, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, so he's going to give two quotes out of the Bible, this is the covenant. So here's God's covenant. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days. After this death of Christ, declares the Lord. What's the covenant? Here it is. I will put my laws on their hearts. Not just in written form. I'm going to put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. I believe this has to do with the Holy Spirit. Literally, God gives us a new heart. So we've been perfected once and for all time, and yet we're still being sanctified. So we have this contrast that's causing us to see the dilemma of why we're having to Ask for forgiveness. Verse 17. The writer of Hebrews says, Then the Holy Spirit adds to what he just says. Watch verse 17. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I will remember them no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. There doesn't need to be any more offerings for sin. They don't need to get saved again. It's done. It's settled. I don't remember their sins and lawless, that's that worst one. I don't remember their lawless deeds anymore. So then we're asking ourselves, then what is the purpose of this forgiveness that Christ is calling for? If you're taking notes, I'm going to hit you with two very quickly back to back. Here we go. Here's a fact. For me, it was 1979. When we trust Jesus as Savior, something happens. We are cleansed immediately 
of all sin, all past, all present, all future sins, the one we haven't even done yet. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There is no condemnation. There can be no accusations. We will never be separated from the love of God. There's a once and for all sacrifice for sin. He doesn't remember our sins and iniquities and lawlessness against us anymore. That's a fact. We receive what we could say is a permanent, here we're going to use these words, a permanent relationship with Christ that can never be broken. That's foundational truth number one. But here we go. Guys, these lives are like the roads of Palestine. And this is where it gets a spiritual application of what Christ was teaching by an action. And he didn't say the words, but it is crystal clear. As you walk physically through this world, you're bathed all over, but your feet get dirty. Why? Because the world is dirty. Christians, we're bathed all over. We're clean. We're once and for all settled. We have a relationship with the Lord that is permanent. It can never be taken away from us. But as we go through this world, it is wicked and ungodly. We have an old nature that we still battle against. And as a result of that, our spiritual feet get dirty. And that is daily sin. And that daily sin breaks our relationship. Watch this. This is key how it's worded. This daily sin can never threaten, it can never take away our union with Christ. That's settled, that's permanent. But it definitely strains and disrupts our communion with the Lord. And that's why Jesus says, you had better be praying for forgiveness. Why? Because your communion, not your union, the union settled. Your relationship is settled. Your fellowship gets broken by daily sin. And I know many of you are like, yep, that was my answer. That's exactly what I was going to say earlier had you pointed to me. And that is the answer. I could say it another way. Why do we need to ask for forgiveness? What's Christ pointing to? Once we were criminals, catch the difference. At one point, we were criminals before God as judge seeking forgiveness. God, as judge, forgave us based on the death of Christ on the cross. Something had to make it available, not just like something we do. So no, we do not earn God's forgiveness by being forgiven. There's a foundation, and it is the death of Christ on the cross. But even after we become a child of God, we don't come to, for forgiveness like, God, I'm back again as a criminal. You will never be a criminal before God the judge again. But we are like a child before our father that has offended him and our fellowship is not good because we've been disobeying him and that fellowship and that communion needs to be restored. And that's why Christ says, Christians, you need to ask for daily provision, physical provision. You need to ask for spiritual protection, but you need to ask for Daily forgiveness of sin. So here's where I want to drive this third point, second point home, and we'll go quickly to the third one. You ready? This is another very important part of the message. Very important because it's going to tell, it'll tell us where we're at. Here we go. Very important what we're about to say. Assurance of salvation. Very valuable testimony I have it I have assurance of salvation God has given me assurance of salvation there's not a day I cannot tell you literally a day in my life since I was 12 years old that I've doubted my salvation I have assurance of salvation it's an awesome thing 
But listen carefully. Some, listen carefully, some professed Christians are so sure they are fully forgiven of all sin, they're so sure that they rarely, if ever, confess day-to-day sins. So, Jeff, do you really believe there are Christians? There's multiple sitting here right now. Let me say it again. Assurance is awesome, but there are a lot of Christians who are so sure that all of their sins have been forgiven. I mean, they know sin is real and that God judges sin, and they really believe, I mean, they believe in their core, not just like to put on a test. They in their core believe there is a heaven and a hell, and God sends those who've not had their sins forgiven to hell. They are so sure all their sins are forgiven. The problem is their assurance has soured to arrogance. They do not, on a daily basis, confess daily sins. And they're sitting here right now. In fact, as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is telling some, that's you. You know in your heart. You do not regularly confess literal sins to the Lord. You don't have a a conversation on a regular basis. You can't remember the last time you've talked to God about your sins. But you would say, I know I'm a Christian. And you're sure of it. You say, Jeff, is that possible for them to truly be a Christian? I believe it is. They really did trust Christ one time. But they just have these sins that just keep building up. But they have confidence. I'll never go to hell because Christ paid for. And they've got the facts right. But it's soured on them. And they're very arrogant. And so here comes Jesus. And he's not just making things up. He's saying this is a very important request. You need to ask the Father to forgive you. You need to be receiving forgiveness on a regular basis. This is daily. Give us this day our daily, our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. This is a daily thing. And so here I want to get even more practical. You answer within yourself this question. How big a part of your daily life, how big a part of your daily prayer life is confession? So over here I'm going to use my right hand. You ready? Is daily, I mean be real, be honest, like quantify it. How much does confession play a part in your life? Is it very big? Is it very important? Or is it hardly ever do it or do it sometimes? I do it on the really bad things. I just hit people when I just made those comments. Some of you like put in your mind, it's not that important to me. Or it's kind of important. Or when I get really convicted, then I I, I deal with it with the Lord. And then I kind of fall back into my old way. Or some, you would just being honest, not trying to be overly modest. But these are the facts. You're like, oh, it's a big part of every day of my life. This is reality in your life. Because here's the point I want to make. Wherever this falls, how important confession is in your life is a direct reflection on how highly you value communication with God. How how important communication, communion, fellowship with God is, these are the same. You say, Jeff, how, how do you know they're the same? Because we sin every day. If your prayers, so here's a key thought. If your prayers, supposed prayers, are really nothing more than imaginary internal conversations with no one. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we're daily fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven those who, who are our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I better do it again. Our Father who art in heaven, and you just kind of go through your same. You say, well, I don't actually quote those. I have my own memorized prayers. I'm here to tell you, if your prayer life is just saying words to no one, confession, you don't need that. You don't need confession to do that. You you can have that without confession. But because we sin every day and sin blocks, hinders, strains our fellowship, then confession becomes vital to anyone who genuinely wants to talk with God. I don't want to just go through emotion. I want to talk to God himself. Well, it doesn't take you long to figure out. I sin every day. I can tell something's happened. I need to deal with this. And so confession becomes extremely important to this person. How important. You know this passage. You know these, both of these passages. Psalm 66. The psalmist knew it, guys, 2,700 years ago. The psalmist knew this. Psalm 66, 18, here's what he writes. He learns from experience and by revelation. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, if I had seen iniquity, sin, I know it's there, I've identified it, yep, there it is, but I don't do anything about it. In fact, I kind of protect it. He's saying if I see it, I allow it, I even protect it. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Thankfully, if you read on, the psalmist is going to say, but I didn't cherish sin. He confesses his sin and he gets through. He has actual conversations with God. If that's a foreign thought to you, then you don't need confession. Those of you who really talk to God know, oh yeah, confession is vital. You have to have it. 1 John chapter 1, we're back not to verse 7 this time. We're at that famous passage and this boost, bolsters our faith. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I know it, I just want to make sure. If, if we confess, so catch this. Confess means to agree. If we confess, if we Christians confess our sins, he the Father is faithful. And just, there is a grounds for this forgiveness. He is faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're not going to cherish and harbor known sin. We're going to confess known sin. We're going to take up this verse and go before God. And as me and my brother in Christ were talking the other day, I want to get like split hairs just for a second. Christ says to pray, Father, to forgive us. Literally, when we tack on 1 John 1, 9, it is not this attitude. Father, I'm coming as a child. I'm not coming as a criminal, but I'm coming as a child acknowledging my sin. It's not, would you please, oh, please, please, would you please forgive me? It's, Lord, I'm confessing my sin. I am receiving your forgiveness. You want me to confess, and I am receiving your forgiveness based on your promise that you will do it and God always forgives that person so just before we hit the third and final thought this morning one more thought so last week I shared that I have this little page that I keep and it's seven principles of prayer I think I have one in each of my Bibles wherever I may end up praying because sometimes I need to actually look at the promises of God and apply them and one of my, my seven fundamentals is that prayer should be specific. 
So here's a fundamental of prayer. You want your prayers to say, I want effective prayers. I don't want to go through the motions talking to no one. I want effective prayers. Prayers must be specific. Not praying in generality. Here's generalities. Here it is again. Here's generalities. Father, we love you for all that you are and all that you do. Jeff, I say that. Is that bad? Guys, that's not bad when it's us together as a group. I understand that. But that's just praying in generality. I think the Lord would rather say, then what about me? Are you, do you love me? What have I done that you're praising me for? Why are you worshiping? Why are you adoring? Rather than we worship and adore you for all that you are and all that you've done, well, sp- spill it out, spell it out. Here's another. Father, thank you for all your many blessings. I think the Lord would rather say, name the blessings. Thank me for specific blessings. Talked about that last week. Here's another. Father, would you please be with, whatever that means, be with all the sick and the afflicted. We love that phrase. Nothing wrong with the phrase. Somebody's going to say it this coming week on our prayer Wednesday night. Somebody's going to pray that, and somebody else is going to go and look at me like, should we correct them? No, don't correct. This is fine. These are fine corporate prayers, corporate prayers. Father, would you be with the sick and the afflicted? But again, that's very broad and general. That's not specific. I think the Lord in our private time wants us to get specific. But here's, here's another big one. And Lord, would you forgive us of all of our sins and our many trespasses? We say it all the time. Why don't we pray specifically? Why don't we pray specifically? I know the reason. Because it takes a lot of time. Jeff, come on, be real, man. If we were to start itemizing reasons that we worship and adore the Lord and itemizing his blessings and itemizing our our, our literal all of our sins, well, then I'm not going to get to pray for my stuff. This just takes way too long. I'm not doing that. And, and by the way, here's the other reason. I can't remember all my sins. Somebody here is like, Jeff, I sin a lot. If you don't understand, I sin a lot. I can't remember all these sins. I'm with you. I'm with you. Is there a solution? You have two on your handout. I didn't have room to give you a third, so let me give it to you first. You ready? Jeff can't remember them all. Watch. What if we actually name the ones we can remember? Let's start right there. I can't remember all my sin. But God, the ones that I can, I'm going to confess specifically. Lord, yes, I agree. I have done that. Second, if you want to write this down. I can't remember them all. What if we start confessing our sins in the moment as they happen instead of waiting till tomorrow morning? Don't wait till tomorrow. Confess in the moment. I'm going to tell you what might happen. Literally, while you're gossiping and slandering, the Holy Spirit may start convicting you right there. And you may find yourself... Inwardly, Lord, you're right. And telling the person, hey, listen, dude, I just got to stop. This, this is, we're, we're right now crossing the line. The Holy Spirit's convicting me. I, I really shouldn't even have said what I said a while ago. Confess it in the moment. And I don't have time to develop this other one, but write it down. I can't remember all my sin. Confess what you do know. Confess in the moment. And then number three, daily allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate your mind, your eyes, your ears, and your mouth, like literally take time. God, what's going on? Do I have a bad attitude? Have I had a bad motive? What kind of thoughts? Let's talk, evaluate me. Lord, what's my eyes? I've been looking at, oh yeah, there was that. What have I not been looking at? Lord, how about my ears? Oh yes, I've been listening to that. Lord, how about my mouth? What have I not been saying? I should have been saying. What have I been saying? I shouldn't have been saying. Lord, point out, and then you just start agreeing. Again, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. And if you don't want to make the sacrifice, you may just say, Jeff, that that takes way too long. I'm not going to do that. Okay. 
Uh, but if you want to grow, if we want to grow in our prayer life, let's start getting specific. And then lastly, this morning, number three, as we go back to Matthew 6, so thought number one, it's only for Christians' prayer. Number two, daily sins hinders our fellowship with God. That's why Christians need to forgive. We're not getting bathed all over again. We're getting our spiritual feet washed because our communion, not our union, but our communion has been strained. And then number three, comes out of verse 14 and 15. Write this down. Being unforgiving hinders us from being forgiven. There's no escaping it. Being unforgiving hinders us from being forgiven. Let me tell you what we're thinking. We don't like verse 14 and 15. We don't like it. I, I don't even like it. Why did Jesus say this? this? This is crazy. I mean, what is this? He says verse 14 and 15 because of what he says in verse 12b, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Verse 14, guys, we may not like 14 and 15, but it is so undeniable Jesus says it positively. And if we think, I think if he only gives verse 14, we might try to explain that away. Well, let's explain that away. Oh, no, no, you can't explain it away because he says it positively. And in case you missed it, just to reinforce it, he says it negatively. Here it is positively. If. Christian, just let this say, simple what it says. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you forgive, he'll forgive. Yeah, okay. It can't mean what it sounds like. Okay, let's say it again. If you don't forgive others, he'll not forgive you your trespasses. You forgive, he'll forgive. You do, then he'll do. If you don't, then he won't. We don't like that. And verse 12 is crystal clear. The word as Father, here's, here's our prayer. Here's the request. Would you forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? What Christ is literally saying. We are supposed to live such a life that we could honestly in our heart ask God, would you, Father, could you imagine us praying this tomorrow morning? Father, would you please forgive me exactly as quickly and as fully and as deeply as I forgive other people? As I'm forgiving them, would you please forgive me? And if I'm not forgiving them, then don't forgive me. And most of us are like, I'm not praying that. I'm praying part 12A. I'm not praying part 12B. I don't want God to forgive me like that. I want God to forgive me way better. He's God. There's more expected of God. He needs to forgive. Well, Christ makes the rules. And he says, that's how you're supposed to live. So back to our question. So are we earning this by this? Y'all know the answer. No. Write it down. Jesus does not mean that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. God's forgiveness is always grace. God's forgiveness is always based on Christ's death on the cross. It's not based on something we do. That's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's unearned, unmerited. You don't get like a merit badge. Hey, I'm noticing you've been really forgiving lately, so I'm going to forgive you. God doesn't do it that way. It doesn't work. And so then we have to answer this question. So what does this mean? And I'm going to offer one main solution. And I did this like a year ago. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would not let us like be ready to leave 
and that he would let what we're about to say, because here's like the third time I'm going to say this. This is a very important part of the message. And I'm afraid the Holy Spirit will give me clarity to say it and us ears to understand if this is accurate, and I think it is. What's this about? Then if we're not earning, then what's this forgiveness or lack of? What is it? You ready? Our, watch my hands. I have to do it this way. Our unforgiveness hinders our prayers. Why? Because our unforgiveness hinders God's forgiveness. Why? Watch. Our lack of forgiveness is sin. An unforgiving spirit is itself sin. That's the problem. That's why this forgiveness is being withheld. Let me explain it further. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's what we can't do. Here's what we cannot do. We can't say, God, I just want to be pure. I need some fellowship, and I can tell that it's broken. I want to be pure between me and you, so I'm going to confess. By the way, this is a great thing as far as it goes. Sometimes here's how far it goes. Here's what we do. God, I want to be pure, and so I'm going to confess specific sins, and we start naming. Yes, I was proud. I am proud. Yes, Lord, I am selfish. Yes, Lord, I was lustful. Yes, I was greedy. Yes, I had a lack of love. Yes, Lord, I did get angry there, and I had that outburst. Yes, Lord, that, I did lie. I exaggerate. You're right, and we're just naming it. Lord, that, that was slander, and yes, that was gossip, and yes, I shouldn't have looked, and we're naming these sins. Wonderful. They're literally being released. They're being forgiven, but here's what you can't do. We can't, like, come to the Lord with, like, ten sins that need confessed and confess nine, but harbor unforgiving spirit. We can't do that. So we're just confessing. Hey, getting it all cleared up. We can't confess 90% of our sin and harbor an unforgiving spirit. That 10%, well, I'm not going to confess that. Guys, can I tell you how it doesn't work? All right, I know you're writing. I'm going to give you a moment to write that. See, God doesn't work by halves. God doesn't work by tenths. What we cannot do is say, Lord, would you please, your spirit's convicted me, and I'm naming that and that and just going down the list, and we're getting these sins released, but what we can't do is hold on to the 10%. I'm not a doctor, and I know we have some in the house right now. Guys, here's what it's not like. It's not like an artery or an artery that's clogged. You know, it's like clogged. And just pretend through medicine or a stent or maybe they get some future technique of roto-rooter or a vacuum system on the end. Man, you were all clogged up. We sent this thing through there. It broke it loose. It sucked it all out. You're like 90% open. Can you tell? I can tell a huge difference. I got like 90% flow again. This is awesome. That's not how confession works. You don't have like clogged conversation. Confess 90%. You know what? I got 90% conversation with the Lord. It doesn't work that way because the 10% unconfessed bitter spirit Keeps you 100% clogged between you and the Lord. He was like, you've, you've confessed all that, but you haven't confessed that. And so there is no forgiveness. Forgiveness comes as you confess and as you ask 
for it. And so here's what that means. If I go through life and I literally, listen, not in a moment of passion when I first discover it, not even shortly thereafter where I'm still fuming. I'm talking about if I take a stance, I will never forgive that person, then as a Christian, what I'm saying is, I am never going to have full and free fellowship with the Lord. I am choosing bitterness and unforgiveness. And by the way, someone may be here this morning, and you're struggling to forgive. I'm going to fly through four things that you ought to do. I'm literally, I'm going to fly through them. You ready? Write them down quickly. You say, I'm not struggling with forgiveness today. Tuck these away in our mind. There are other things. These are the ones that the Lord randomly gave me the other day. And I dare you. They're so simple, but I dare you. You say, I am struggling. There's a situation, and it may be someone right here, here today. You're struggling to forgive. You've got some bitter feelings. What can be done? Go back to the basics when we're struggling to forgive. Four basics. Number one, write this down. Be sure they know what they did. Can we start there? Be sure they know what they did. I'm not going to go to Matthew 18, verse 15. That's its own. We'll get there eventually. But the first thing is, do they know that they've offended you? Do you know there may be someone sitting here this morning. You have hard feelings towards someone, but you've never said it. And maybe you make an assumption. They know what they did. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But if you at least take the Bible step, Matthew 18, verse 15, and let them know what they've done, there may have been a misunderstanding, or maybe it's a great opportunity for them to get that right with you. Please take that step. Number two. Don't allow anyone, anything to feed your bitterness. Usually it's ourself. It could be a song. It could be sitting, drinking a cup of tea, reliving it over and over and over and over and over and over. Don't let things feed your bitterness. Choke it. Don't feed it. Number three, I dare you to take this step. As a Christian, here's what you do, all right? Number one, have I talked to them? Have I even let them know that they need to seek my forgiveness? They need to apologize, ask to be forgiven. Number two, don't feed my bitterness. Choke it out. Number three, I challenge you. Pray, God, I need you to do what I've not been able to do myself. I'm struggling to forgive. Please do what I cannot do. God, I need some enablement here. I'm not able to forgive. And then our last passage. Our last two verses, go if you would, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, 32. You'll see some of what we just talked about. Ephesians 4, look what verse 31, 32, very simple. Let all bitterness, like six things, let all bitterness and wrath and anger Bitterness, that deep-seated, hidden, it's probably the main thing. It's got the deep root. And wrath, that's simmering, boiling. And anger, it's coming out over the top. And clamor, like literally there's yelling going on back and forth. Christians, oh yeah, yelling, clamor, and slander, cutting someone down, making someone else think less of this person. Let all of that be put away from you, along with all malice. I want bad things to happen to that person because of what they did. Let all that be put away from you, verse 32. Be kind. Don't do those six things. Do these three or four things. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving, as God in Christ forgave you. The fourth thing is very simple, but it's probably the most important, along with 
praying. And it's this, meditate on the grace of God. I challenge you, say, I am really struggling. I challenge you to do those four things. Be sure, do they know? Have I told them what they've done? Don't feed your bitterness. Pray for God. God, would you please do in me what I can't do? I need some serious enablement. And number four, really meditate on God's grace. I mean like soak in God's grace. Why is that important? Grace is the key. If I could say it this way, I'm going to say the same thing like three ways. You ready? The more we're aware of God's grace to forgive our sins, the easier it is to forgive other people their sins. Same thing a second way. Watch. Here's what you need to know. But Jeff, you don't understand what they did. Here's what you need to know. You have done more and worse against God than anyone has ever done against you. That's where your attention needs to go. And that leads to the third way of saying the exact same thing. Here it is. You say, but I'm, I'm really struggling. Here's what the issue is. We are unforgiving when we choose to focus more and deeper on what others have done to us than we choose to focus on what we have done against God. I'm choosing to focus more and deeper on what they've done than I need, I need to focus more on what I've done against God and on a deeper level what I've done against God. I'm telling you, the more we realize what we've done against him, and, and he still gives us all this grace and mercy, and he literally forgives the debt the moment we ask, man, that inspires me. And I find myself able to forgive. And so my last thought this morning is this one. That first no, it was the third question. Verse 15. Here's the last thought. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You remember my third question this morning? It was this. God's withheld forgiveness. Is it this life? Or is it eternity, permanent withheld? What is it? What would you say if I pointed to you? Hey, verse 15. Is it talking about God saying, you know what, I'm going to withhold this daily forgiveness? Or is it I'm going to withhold permanent forgiveness? I'll propose to you it depends on who the person is. Jeff, what do you mean? To be clear, a Christian, a Christian has already received eternal forgiveness that can never be lost we've already we saw that in Romans 8 we saw it in 1 John 1 7 he's already the blood of Jesus already forgiven us there is no more condemnation we can never be out of the love of God he's already a Christian already has full forgiveness for eternity that is settled can never be lost but watch what I'm about to say it is absolutely possible for a Christian to be so hurt by something that is so damaging that that Christian struggles, watch, for a time to forgive. So, Jeff, you really think, oh, absolutely. I've lived it. I've lived it. You say, Jeff, what is meant by for a time? How long is that? All I can tell you is me. I can't tell you how long for a time is for you. Now, we're not going to like what I'm about to say. I don't like what I'm about to say, but I don't know any other way to, to get around it. We have... Christian has full and free, permanent, eternal forgiveness in the next life. 
But a Christian can struggle to forgive someone because something was so damaging to them and we're struggling. We're having to work through it for a period of time. I believe a Christian wants to forgive and they're moving toward that as best they can, but they're struggling to do that in some cases. What about that Christian? Well, here's what we don't like. In that state, that Christian is forfeiting fellowship and full union and communion with the Lord. And that's what Christ is talking about. You don't forgive? I'm not going to forgive you. So yes, it's daily. It's daily. It is in this life. So Jeff, that's the final answer. That's not the complete answer. Watch. Because if there is another person, and this person had something done against them or multiple things that are done against them or done against them over a long period of time, watch, and they struggle and struggle and struggle to forgive. In fact, I'll go further. This person probably doesn't even want to get it right. They're not moving toward getting it right. They're not pursuing peace. They kind of like that they're bitter and angry. They're holding on to their unforgiveness. In fact, they will die having never been able to forgive this person or persons who has done this against them. Then, Jeff, where do they stand? I'm going to contend from verse 15 that what that means is the reason they cannot forgive is because they have never experienced the grace of God. They can't find it within themselves to forgive because they've never been forgiven themselves. A Christian who has been forgiven can struggle, but eventually they'll get there. I don't know how long it'll take, but they'll get there and they'll be able to forgive. The unbeliever may not be able to get there, and the reason is you've never experienced salvation. And to that person, I would say, they are the unforgiven. For how long? Through eternity, you have never experienced my grace, and it shows in how you can never give grace to anyone else. You will not receive my forgiveness. Christian, you may forfeit it in this life. The unsaved person, you are forfeiting the forgiveness of God through eternity because you've never received the forgiveness of God in time and space, and you don't have a point in your life where you can look back and say, that's when I had a conversation with God. Would you bow your head just for a moment? Heads bowed just for a moment. I'm thinking of different people this morning. I'm going to throw these thoughts out and I'll pray. Chris will be playing on the piano. I don't think we'll sing today. Four thoughts. Does this apply to you? I'm just wondering, does this apply to you? Is there any person listening, whether here present or watching online in any form, this describes you. Here's the truth. You have never in your life trusted Jesus. You've never asked God to forgive you of your sins. You've committed all five types of New Testament sins, all five categories you're guilty of, but you've never had a time in your life. Can I remind you the main thing of our whole text today? Can I remind you, please listen. Jesus is saying God forgives sins if you'll ask him. You have to believe that he'll ask him. This is in essence a promise. Jesus is not wasting words. Jesus is promising if you will ask the Father to forgive you. And so somebody's, someone's listening right now. I want to challenge you by faith. Take Christ up on it right now. Bring God into your sphere of awareness and just talk to him. I can try to feed you words, but more than anything, it's just your soul and spirit. Just talk to God. God, I'm a sinner. Yes, I've done that. Name it. Name some things. 
Lord, just talk. And when it's all said and done, confess. Do this. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Just talk to the Lord right now. Say, God, I believe Jesus' death was for me. I am a sinner. I believe your word. I ask you to forgive me right now. Would you forgive me of my sin because of what Jesus did for me on a cross? Very quickly. I'm not going to have anyone raise their hand here. There's a Christian in the house. You're a Christian. But here's a fact. Daily confession of sins, daily sins, has not been part of your normal life. You are so sure. All your sins have been paid for. You're going to heaven. You have no doubt about it. And frankly, you very well may be. But you have let your assurance turn to arrogance. The Lord has spoken to you today. Say, hey. It's time this become. Let's stop playing games in prayer and let's start having real conversations that will not happen until you start confessing sin. Then the last two people are similar. You're offended. Both categories of this person, they're very offended. Someone's wronged them. But the first group, here's my thought. You cannot in your heart say that you've actually told the people that you're upset with and you need to be biblical. And you, you, The Holy Spirit's telling you, you're either going to have to let it go, let it slide and fully release the debt, or you're going to have to have a conversation and say, hey, I've been upset with you for a while and you don't even know it. And I'm telling you right now, here's what, give them a chance. Give them a chance. And then lastly, someone is here and you are carrying a burden you've chosen bitterness and maybe you've tried you've tried on your own but you can't honestly say you've asked God to help you to be able to forgive and you can't honestly say that you've been meditating on the grace of God and maybe you've been feeding your bitterness and the Holy Spirit today is saying hey they've asked for forgiveness you've had the talk they know what they did they have sought your forgiveness and today is the day to let it go like I let all of your sin go every time you ask me. Father, Lord, thank you for the prayer that you taught us to pray. And Lord, forgive me. I've really, in a lot of ways, just not done well with this message today. Lord, I don't understand all of that, but I, I know that you work even when we struggle and your word never comes back void so I thank you for that I'm rejoicing in that Lord I thank you for what you've shown me this week help me to live up to what Christ calls us to be more than we can be on our own help us to be what he can be in us God I pray so Lord my prayer request as we leave let grace for you be a very pure people we're not going to be a perfect people we're going to sin we walk through a dirty world and we have a sin nature that still harasses us. So, Lord, you know that. And so, 
I'm just glad you made confession as a way to receive forgiveness and you gave us promises. So, Lord, let us daily and in the moment itemize specifically these things and agree with your Holy Spirit so that we can be pure and clean. And Lord, as we can confess the same sin again and again, let us get so sick of it that we turn from it. We really repent. Lord, we're able to walk free and light with you and our brothers and sisters and the world around us. Let us be a forgiving people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming.